You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I want to say first off, thanks to Herb Lawrence, who's out there in our in the podcast world surrounding uh, White Sox baseball and a longtime veteran of Chicago radio that completely, for no reason whatsoever, except that he just felt like being nice to us, tweeted out about how well-produced this show is. And, you know, then we got all these responses from people talking about, like, that's why, even though I'm angry with the team, I'm still listening to Sox in the basement. And I want to tell you, first of all, it touches my heart all those comments and what Herb said, but also it touches my heart when I look at the numbers for this show. I I fully expected about midway through the summer that this show would completely bottom out. And this show has actually got more listeners now than it had last year. So so (laughs) I want to say thanks to all of you. You guys rule. I don't know what we're doing over here, but I appreciate the support. Yeah, well, hey, you know, I'm not one to look a gift horse in the mouth. And and I enjoy the fact that people listen to us, and I enjoy the fact that we get a chance to still talk about the team, even in times when we're sitting here going, I really, really wish it was something else, you know, that we were talking about. I really wish we were talking about a playoff push, and what's the what's the rotation going to line up like? Do you start Jesse Schultons in a three-game series? <laughs> I never want to hear that uttered from your mouth again. This episode of Socks in the Basement is brought to you by Cork and Carry at the Park. There's two locations, actually, for Cork and Carry. There's one on Western Avenue as well, but Cork and Carry at the Park is in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. It is the perfect place for pregame, postgame, in-game, bring the kids over, feed them after the game, get back over there for an after-game drink and some commiseration and start talking about this roster and what you think should be done with it in the offseason and what's going on with it right now, and we're going to get into that on this episode of Socks in the Basement, an extensive bar, rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. Learn more at corkandcarry.com. Uh, before we get into the current roster, I decided to do some math, and this is the thing I really wanted to jump into today. I looked at the contracts, the bigger contracts on the White Sox right now. I'm not going to look at ARB numbers. I'm not going to try to break everything down to the penny. I'm just going to look at the big contracts. Okay, currently being paid on this team for the 2023 season, the lost season of White Sox baseball, Yuan Moncada, $17.8 million. Andrew Benintendi was not split up evenly. I didn't know that. $8.6 million was all he was this year. He's a little backloaded. Yeah, actually mid-loaded. He's mid-loaded, and then it kind of comes down in that last year, but not that much. This is the lowest of all five years in terms of what he gets paid. Uh, and then Liam Hendricks, $14.33 million. Tim Anderson, 12.5. Aloy Jimenez, 10.33. Luis Robert Jr., 9.5. And then I could kind of go into the rest of them. But th- those are the big contracts, because I don't expect Clevenger to come back with the option. And in reality, it's only $4 mil next year if he sticks around. And who knows how that's going to work, but I doubt he's on the team. We'll see. So those are the big ones that I'm looking at, right? Okay, so now when I look at the next year, there's increases. Moncada goes up to $24.8 million. Try not to throw up in your mouth too much. Oh, $24.8 million for that guy. This is why Rick Hahn should have been fired years ago. And by the way, it's another $5 million in 25 if you want to just buy him out, unless you want to pay him another 25 mil. Crazy. No. Uh, Andrew Benintendi goes up to 17.1. 
Aloy Jimenez goes up slightly from 10.3 to 13.83. Uh, Luis Robert Jr. gets a raise from 9.5 to 12.5. And then you have Just the deserved. Hendricks option and the Anderson option. Well, doing quick math with just that grouping, Moncada, Benintendi, Hendricks, Anderson, Jimenez, and Robert Jr., the bigger contracts on the team. Doing quick math, if you take Moncada, Benintendi, Jimenez, and Robert Jr., the four that are already assured of having their money next year, and you just look at the difference in what they're going to make, and you don't even include Hendricks and Anderson, and you have their money come off, you're basically breaking even. The White Sox make about $3 million if they don't pick up the Liam Hendricks option and they just defer out and pay him a little bit for like the next 10 years, I think is how this works. And they just kind of spread it out. And then if you pay a million dollars for Tim Anderson to go away, you only make $3.14 million. If you pick up their options, you are going to spend more money on those contracts and likely more money on your salary before you add one single free agent to a team that is in desperate need of new players to fix the problems of the last regime. So the question I have to you is, I think it's a no-brainer. You just move on from Liam. Great story, great guy on this show before, but you're just going to defer out that money. And when he gets back from everything he's dealing with, he'll get a nice little annuity paycheck for a while from the White Sox while he goes out and makes more money for somebody else because I don't know if you need that closer in 24 and that burden with all these other problems. And then you have to look at Tim Anderson and say, is this really somebody you want to give $14 million to next year when he still is playing terribly? That little flash after the All-Star break went away. Still really bad at the plate. Yeah, and, and you also have to, I think, look at it from the standpoint of what, where else can you trim contracts in, in that list that you gave? Because if you're, you're, you're obviously not trading Luis Robert Jr., but you know, do you think Aloy has enough value on the trade market to where he's going to bring back enough major league ready stuff to make it worth trading him off, right? No one's going to take you on Moncada at that number. So at best, maybe you can trade and, and, and keep some of the money, pay cash for some of it. There's really not a good answer other than Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks, who are really going to be the faces amongst the faces of the franchise and, and, and the guys that were out front in, this, in the Rick Hahn rebuild, in the Rick Hahn attempt to make a championship team. You almost, you almost have to think about it economically and just sit there and say, like you said, we, we, there's no starting rotation. No. So you're, you're going to have to find major league pitchers. And I know, I know they just traded for, for a bunch of prospects that some of those guys are going to step in and, and be forced to step in in some ways, but you don't have a starting rotation. You probably don't have enough in the bullpen. Uh, you still don't necessarily have a second baseman set up because you're, you're cycling through guys. Lennon Sosa is getting a chance now, but he may not be the answer. You have a hole in the outfield if Oscar Colas is not going to be the guy. And you have to really think long and hard about how you're going to construct a complete and full roster for next year just to put a team on the field. Unless you're going to sit there and say, we're only going to commit to young guys and sink or swim, that 2024 is going to be the year that they either figure it out, put it together, and become major league players, or we're going to have to start from scratch again in 25. I think you're looking at yeah, the Anderson and the Hendricks money become here's some bargain veterans that are going to help us put this team, put a team on the field next year so that we can work in 
all the prospects we just traded for into the rotation so we can work in what we're going to do in terms of shoring up our middle infield and shoring up our outfield and even getting just say we're going to buy time for Colson Montgomery to have one more year in the minors to develop. You're talking about one more year max with both Anderson and Hendricks anyway, right? Do you believe that you're a World Series contender in 2024 when you look at this roster? I mean, if you do, I'm going to ask you who hit you in the head and how many times did they do it? Well, it was none of the White Sox players, that's no, for sure. No, they would swing and miss. Why exactly. would you d- decide to to basically stand pat, hamstring yourself because of your budget, because your owner is only going to give you so much, right? He already pretty much said that. Like, hey, I'm not going out after Otani. I'm not opening up the purse strings that much. Chris Getz knows what the problems are. He's just going to get in there and fix them all. All right, I'm going back into my cave. You won't see me again for several years. And uh, next time I see you will be when I have to fire the next general manager, you peons, and then he just kind of mutters and walks off, right? Like You're making it sound like people leave jars of honey outside of Jerry's <laughs> office periodically just to make sure he's sustained. So you have, you have the option of either basically being stuck or opening up some of your funds, and I think it makes sense to open up your funds. I think this is why Elvis Andrus is still on the team. I honestly do. You think you think he's coming back? First off, when you look at Tim Anderson's stats over the, just the last 28 days, the guy's hitting 225 with a 581 OPS. That's actually lower than what his season totals are. He's not getting better. Okay? He's not. The last 14 days, he's hitting 175. He's not getting better. It's not happening. You just have to understand that it was wonderful. It was a big, bright, shining light, and Icarus got too close to the sun in a lot of ways. And I don't know if it's worth $14 million. And if you can free that up, you're not going out for a free agent shortstop. You have Colson Montgomery. He's not going to be ready yet. But you look at the shortstops that are sitting out in free agency. Anderson's going to be the top one in baseball. That's going to tell you about how shallow it is. You got Javi Baez if he uh, if there's an opt-out. I wouldn't opt out of his contract. Is it big? It's big, I right? think it's big. It's a big contract. It was it was the big Cubs contract that they oh, had to yeah. move well, on then, from. Then he should stay right there with his money, right? And then Elvis Andrus is the third highest ranked shortstop on, a, on the list that I'm looking at right now from MLB.com. You already have the third best option in free agency at the shortstop position sitting there making $3 million for you this year. It is the shallowest class. It is why for the last uh, year or so, we were telling you that if you really wanted to remake this team, you would move Anderson at his peak and go after the many shortstops that had hit free agency last year. But this team decided not to do that. And now you don't have an option. They basically went all in on TA, expected that they were going to pick up the option and then hope that by the time next offseason rolled around, that they'd have an answer or they'd be able to re-sign him and finish out his career here in Chicago, or Montgomery would be ready. They did not anticipate him falling off. No. So now you don't have an option. So I think it's Elvis. Unless you're going to get, like, what, Eduardo Escobar is going to move back over to short, and he has a club option, so you don't know if he's going to be out there. I think Joey Wendell can play a little shortstop. That's no good. You got a bunch of second basemen, and I don't remember ever playing shortstop on the list. There's no middle infielders that I feel comfortable playing shortstop for the Chicago White Sox. Elvis Andrus is going to bat at the bottom of your order, and you're going to use that money to go out and get pitching and improve your team rather than let Tim Anderson go out there and play poorly. The only reason you keep Anderson around is if you think he's going to have a dead cap bounce or all of a sudden he's going to put it together after an offseason of, I don't know, sitting around and talking about his feelings, and he's going to get back in there and he's going to be red hot, and then what are you going to do? You're still going to trade him at the trade deadline because he's not part of the plan for 25. So, I mean, do you really want to risk $14 million? And say, we're going to spend $14 million on the hope that all of a sudden he gets good again. 
And then when he gets good, we're not going to use him to win anything because that's we're not going to be able to improve the team enough to win anything. So we're just trying for him to get good so we can trade him before the deadline. That would be a terrible plan. Switch to a new age of life, White Sox fans. Keep your mom and dad, grandma and grandpa out of assisted living. Make it so they can get around on their own and live independently. With stair lifts, ramps, grab bars, lift chairs, and even bathroom remodeling, you want Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. They're going to work with your insurance. They have 0% financing for qualified individuals. And if you mention socks in the basement, you get additional money off. I don't use a CPAP machine, but it seems like every relative I have, including my father, uses one. So one day, I'll probably have to walk in there, go into their showroom, and try out all the latest. You can do that right now if you're using that. And they can have supplies mailed directly to you. They also have the latest and continuous glucose monitors. Learn all about what they do at hhme.com or stop in and see Hyatt Home Medical Equipment at 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. Here's the other thing, too, with the, with the whole Tim Anderson situation. It's not like he's been the healthiest guy on the team. None of them have. I mean, they, they've had a hard time keeping guys on, on the field. If you sign Anderson and he gets off to a slow start at the beginning of the season, that's one thing. But if, he's, if, if you keep Anderson around, you pick up that, that option, and he comes out and gets hurt, and now he's not available really before the trade deadline, you're, you're still going to lose him for nothing. So if, if, if you're a, a fan sitting there going, you can't let him walk away for nothing, you should have traded him this year, the woulda, shouldas aside, you're really not, what, you're, what we're talking about here is really talking about trading him, right? We're talking about taking his $14 million, but instead of going and getting somebody else's prospects or somebody else's second baseman that, you know, their spare second baseman that they have sitting around, what we're really talking about is saying, we're going to trade Tim Anderson to the open market, and in, in his place, we're going to use his $14 million to bring back one or two players that are going to help this team next year and maybe into 25 as well, right? That's that's a possibility, too, that you could get someone who uh, you know does end up being part of the plans going forward, and, and Anderson's money coming off the books just sort of brings that up an offseason as opposed to the following year, the you know the twenty four to twenty five off season where his money was going to come off. The plan was probably Colson Montgomery stepping in for him, and then you know you're using that savings to to bring in another player. So I think it's I think it's a trade no matter what. I would just I would trade him in the off season so to speak by not picking up his money and physically actually making a trade with him, but trading off paying TA versus using that money elsewhere. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a trade by getting the money back so you can use the money on something else. Like there's some options that catcher. They're not the greatest, but they're better than what you have right now. Uh, outfield looks deep in, in, in the free agent class. Starting pitcher looks deep in the free agent class. You need that money. You need that money so you can start fixing things, not just for 24, but for 25. We've talked about this. This is a team that could make a very quick turnaround if it's put together Correctly, I'm encouraged by the fact that Chris Getz is talking about adding to his front office. Merkin was reporting that. Scott Merkin, who's been on the show a bunch from MLB.com, was saying that, that Getz has indicated that he is going to add to the front office. And that's what that was what I always said you needed to do with this, with this team. There's not enough bodies that are in the room who know enough about baseball. They have a very small scouting department. They have a very small analytics department. They're they're well behind all of these other teams in Major League Baseball. I mean, if I were a GM, Ed, you know what I would do? If I were Chris Getz, I, I, I wish I could 
wish I could sit down with him, but all I can hope for is that he's listening to Sacks in the Basement. Getsy, I would call every single scout you have back home to Chicago. I would tell them they were required to be there within 72 hours, okay? And then I would make them scout your own team. And then I would have them submit individual reports to you of what they thought of each player that they watched that week. And when you get a report where you go, wow, that guy must be watching a completely different team than me, fire that guy and replace him. Like if I were a GM, that'd be the first thing I would do. I have to figure out who's smart and who's stupid. Right. These, these are the things I'd be doing, right? Because he was he was in the minors too. So he could be like, I want you all to go down to AAA or I want you all to go down to AA. Like I'd be giving him homework right now. I'd be like, forget scouting other players. We're all taking two weeks off and I want your honest evaluation of this team. And then find out who actually sees it the way you see it and who doesn't see it the way that you see it. Right. Like, I mean, like maybe I think too much like a manager. I spent 10 years, you know, working as a boss at different places. I like to me, I look at it and I go, how do you evaluate your new employees? You, you, you give them an opportunity to give you honest answers, not only about themselves, but how things are working inside of the building where you're at. That, that's how you learn right away. You can learn by observing, but do you really want to sit around and wait for the guy to make three mistakes? And then you go, man, maybe I should have fired that guy two years ago. No, bring him in right now. Wait for the guy who sits there and says, you are my God, has still got something. Fire him. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Like, I mean, like that that would be what you would do. And and I like if I again, this is my pie in the sky when I'm standing in the shower and I'm having press conferences as the new GM of the White Sox, pretending that I'm actually in charge of this team and thinking about what I would do with it. Right. Before I had this podcast, I just talked to myself, folks. I just talked to myself about all the things that I hated about this team and what I would do if I were in charge of it. If, if Jerry just happened to, you know, get hit by a rock that fell from the sky and his last words were, you take over the team, young man, and somehow signed a legal document to give it to me. Like, we all imagine this. Don't act like you don't. And, and now I get to talk about it on the podcast, but that's what I would do. I would, I would, I would want all my scouts to come in and self-evaluate my team. You have, you have all these guys who are baseball experts. You're the new general manager. You have a pretty good idea because you've been in there already. Now let's find out who thinks the same as you. Well, and, and the other thing, too, that he's probably doing is looking at all of the players that he's got that haven't panned out for one reason or the other that he disagreed with you know, and kind of saw coming. And, and looking at which scouts brought him those players – and okay, so this guy's got 12 bums on his list. This guy's got two <laughs> bums on his list. That's probably a statistical <laughs> likelihood. This guy's this guy's all bum. This is just this is just bum. It's all this bum guy through, Yeah, right. this is just all bums. Right. And so I'm going to get rid of this guy. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm sure there's some of that going on too. But yeah, adding to the front office makes a perfect amount of sense. I just I guess my question is: Is there a Chris Getz Jr. out there? No, I I don't believe that there is. I mean, if he is, he's probably very young. Getsy's a young guy, right? That's true. Yeah, he is. A, he's a younger fellow. I don't think. So. He, I don't think he's putting an eight-year-old into the front office. But I mean, nothing would surprise me with the White Sox. Really, you know, if you're going to make it about family, make it about family. I mean, man. let's be honest. Okay. Drake LaRoche was the greatest, greatest leader we ever had on this team, and don't you ever. This forget This is it. true. Yes, <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> Joining me on the phone line right now, the Sox nerd, Dave Marin, who is getting close to the end of his season, putting up tidbits 
on the scoreboard at the rate. Uh, but he will continue to stick with us all throughout the off season, And we're lucky to have him because I learned so much talking to you, my friend. How are you? Fantastic, Chris. Thanks. I appreciate that. That's, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I mean, I think it made the season a little bit more enjoyable while we were dealing with all of the garbage. Because, like, some of these tidbits were just, they, they blew your mind and made you remember why you liked baseball. Because so many times... I have started to hate baseball at different times during this entire season. Like I've, I've really been like, oh my goodness, if I didn't have a podcast, I would be totally done with this team right now. But you've held me in there. I think you've held a lot of listeners in there as well, and we appreciate it. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I appreciate that, and I will forge on, as they say. There you go. What do you got this week? Chris, we all need some relief the rest of this season, and hopefully Michael Kopech can give us some. When the Sox announced Kopech would finish the year in the bullpen, my gut reaction was, good. There are some numbers from his year in relief which indicate Kopech can thrive out of the pen. Overall, he was 3-3 three and three with a 3.90 ERA and 40 outings out of Tony LaRusso's bullpen in 2021. Not mind-blowing, I know, but let's dig a little deeper, shall we? Average against the first batter is a stat I really like to flash on the board as much as possible. In 2021, Kopech was good here, holding the first batter to a 179 average. That's five hits and 39 at-bats. Another stat for relievers I like is strikeouts per nine innings. Kopech averaged 13.4 strikeouts per nine in 2021, which was the second highest output in Sox history among pitchers with at least 63 innings. The fact that Kopech holds hitters to a 209 average on pitches 1 through 25 and 194 on pitches 26 through 50 before the averages climb substantially between pitches 51 through 100 fit the profile of an effective reliever. And let's face it, there were times in 2021 where reliever Kopech was absolutely electric and had me thinking maybe, just maybe, we have a future closer on our hands. And lest we forget that closers Dennis Eckersley, Roberto Hernandez, and Dustin Hermanson were all starters before excelling in relief. And Bobby Jenks started all but two of his first 80 pro appearances before the Sox turned him into a reliever. A quick follow on Miguel Cabrera. We closed the book on Miggy's career against the Sox last weekend in Detroit. The future Hall of Famer wound up slashing 282, 357, and 473 with 40 homers against the White Sox. At guaranteed rate field, those numbers were 256, 341, and 456 with 26 homers. The 40 homers are the 15th highest total by a Sox opponent and easily the most of any Sox foe since Miggy debuted in 2003. His 25 homers are the most by a visitor to the raid. If you want to know where that 26th homer went, listen to last week's show. My zinger, an old baseball adage, says that every player, no matter how obscure, holds some kind of record, no matter how obscure that record is. Meet Luis Patino. His claim to fame was that on September 2nd, he became the 53rd player the Sox used this year, which set the team record. Rich Renteria's 2017 and 2018 teams held the previous mark with 51 players used each. In case you were wondering, Chris, the 1905 team used the fewest players in Sox history with 19. That's it. Probably more than you wanted to know about Kopech, opponent's average, Dustin Hermanson, Miggy, and Luis Patino. Hailstorm Brewing Company, official brewing company of Sox in the basement. 
Scratch Kitchen, now open 11 a.m. for lunch, Tuesday through Sunday. Smoked wings, so good. They've already appeared on Chicago's Best. They're one of the go-tos that I get. Uh, they got great sauces, but sometimes I just have them dry. Just the dry rub. They're that tasty. Uh, they're in Tinley Park, 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. And I talked about the food. Let's talk about the beer. If you're like me and you like Oktoberfest, and I love Oktoberfest. This is one of my favorite times of the year. One of the best in Chicagoland. God's honest truth, they just unveiled it last year when Will Turner took over as their brewer. Take me to your leader. Go check it out in Tinley Park, 8060, 186th Street, hailstormbrewing.com. What do you think about the Oscar Colas thing? Because I wonder if that's, this is what's best for him, or I wonder if that's Chris Getz saying, I never really thought this was going to work. Send him back down there. He's got about 25 things he's got to work on. Seems like Pedro thinks he's got 25 things he's got to work on. He kind of was listing out all the stuff he has to do before he gets back to the majors. Oscar Colas is not the finished product that we were told he was going into the season. And there's stuff that Pedro's seeing. There's stuff that Getz is seeing that they're sitting there going, eh, we're not pleased with him trying to do this at the major league level. You know, the the other thing that occurs to me with the Colas situation is not just about him as a player, but one of the things that I have a hope for for Chris Gatz going forward is, you know, the international signings were always about getting the big prize, right? And it worked with Luis Robert Jr. for sure, but Colas was a prize. Yolki Cespedes was a prize. These are, you know, Noria Vera was a prize where, you know, we're, we're expecting these guys to be massive contributors, and Colas so far has proved to be kind of a quad A guy. I mean, he goes down, he mashes minor league pitching, comes up, can't really get anything done in the, on the major league level. We have an incredible Triple A team. You take Sosa at second and Colas in the outfield, and Yoki Cespedes just got elevated to Triple A. I mean, right now that's that's a that's a big time Triple A team. It's just when they get to the majors is the problem. Yeah, and and that becomes the issue is. Is you know, but that's three guys too. I mean, you're talking about that being a great major, you know, great minor league team. That's that's literally three out of nine positions that you just mentioned there. So it, it's it's one of those where I, I'm kind of curious to see if going forward, if you're going to see more of a let's just take a chance on a lot of guys and use that international money to sort of really fill out the minors, or if it's going to continue to be we're really locked in on this one guy because. The hit rate on it isn't necessarily great, and if Colas does not turn out to be anything, which is a possibility, if Cespedes doesn't turn out to be anything, which seems like a possibility, if Sosa doesn't seem to be anything, which again seems to be a possibility, what are we what are we looking for? What's the what's the fallback option? Because one of the things that occurs to me with Oscar Colas going down is that you still don't really have like two or three guys behind him that you're immediately like, well, these guys. Are ready to have a chance too. I, I, you know, I, I look at, for example, the Diamondbacks who earlier in the year were just bringing up outfielder after outfielder after outfielder from their minor league system, and it, you know, you had Corbin Carroll, and then, you know, they're getting rid of Dalton Varsho because they've got Alec Thomas, and they've got uh, David Fletcher's brother, who's I think his name is Dominic. They've got a ton of players out there. Meanwhile, we're using Trace Thompson still. As a regular. Right, and, and Trace Thompson, who's under club control, which gives you an idea about Trace Thompson's career. I, get, I mean, think about what that says about how bad things are in the minor leagues, that the only goal from this point till the end of the year is giving playing time the guys that you may want to try out for your team next year, and Trace Thompson is still on the 26-man roster. Right. Think about how bad that is. 
and how, how poorly constructed everything is. And you're right. Like there, there's just not enough depth. And, and, and this is the problem. I, I really, I really hope again, Chris Getz, not the guy that I would have gone out and hired, but you really continue to hope that like, he's the guy who was sitting there saying, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? But I don't have any voice here. So I just have to kind of hold on for the ride. And I'm really hoping this is more of just like what Kenny Williams always was. Kenny Williams, who clearly was always still in charge. I mean, you learned all that once those two guys left, right? Rick could do whatever he wanted to unless Kenny just swooped in and said no and then did what he wanted to in spite of what Rick wanted to do. The two of them were so dysfunctional, but Kenny was clearly, he had a heavy influence over what was going on in there. Well, you know what he always loved? He always loved aging veterans. He always loved the name instead of the skill and what was recent on their baseball card. He was always thinking about what their baseball card looked at a couple years earlier, what it looked like a couple years earlier. And he also could have been the guy who was sitting there saying, I want the big prize. I want the number one guy on top of the prospect list. I want the number one guy coming out of Cuba this year. He could have been that that voice in there. And so he could be a big reason for it because a lot of his history tells you he's that guy. This is that guy who went out and got Ken Griffey Jr. when there was no reason for it anymore. He tried for years to get him. Right. And he finally got him in there and it was like, well, we get the last, we get the ending of Ken Griffey Jr. So he could puff out his chest and say, Ken Griffey Jr. was a White Sox. I don't think Ken Griffey Jr. even remembers playing for the White Sox. I bet you if you asked him, he would furrow his brow and say, I played for them? Yeah, I, I don't remember that. I thought I thought the Reds had black jerseys for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Jones, too. He's probably like, what? Who? Even I forgot Andrew Jones was on the team until <laughs> you just said it. Manny Ramirez. He didn't know he I was here. I remember Manny. He had no idea he was here, though. Manny had no idea he was here. Manny, at, at some point, Manny decided he was no longer on planet Earth. He was just playing baseball out in, in Mars or something. Manny was the one that the Sports Illustrated article was talking about how he just had these like $500,000 checks stuffed into his locker because they were paying him in check form and he was forgetting to cash the checks. So they were rolled up in balls behind like his jack strap. Like, I mean, like Manny had no idea he was here. Real quick, who's the aging veteran? Who's the guy on his last legs that you want Chris Getz to go out and do? What aging veteran does Chris Getz? No, no, no more aging veterans. Chris does not get any more aging veterans. We got to stop doing that. Don't do that anymore. No more Getz puns. No more Getz puns? No more Getz puns. Or you get out of here. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.